would, open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we'll be this morning. And before we get started, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word that you have so graciously given. You have revealed everything that we need for life and godliness here in your word. So Lord, we ask that as we, as we come before your word now, that by your spirit, you would apply its truth to our hearts, that you would convict where conviction is needed, that you would comfort where comfort is needed, that you would encourage where encouragement is needed, and that you would be honored and glorified in us as we look to you. Bless the preaching of your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I want to read that for us. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a few reasons I chose this passage this morning. One, it's a, it's a new year, and it's a time that we think about commitments we're going to make, maybe recommitments of things we didn't fulfill last year. Uh, we, we think of, of the year gone by, we think of, of what's lying ahead, and um, if we're following Christ, we need to know that this, this life is a race, and we need endurance. We need endurance if we're going to run the race. So that, that's one reason why. The other reason is because uh, as Rex mentioned before, uh, turning a page in my own life, moving out of the, the master's program, moving into doctoral studies, I, I, I'm in a race. <laughs> I'm in a race, and, and it is agonizing at times, which is where the word comes from here in, in Hebrews 12. It is agonizing at times, but I need endurance. I need to hear this word this morning. So that's the other reason. You need to hear it. I need to hear it. That, that's why we're in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 this morning. Um, it's a joy, it's a privilege and honor to be able to preach on this day, the first day of the year, the first Sunday of the year. And again, we, we think back about all the Lord has done for Providence. Think back at, at all the Lord has done in your life. Think about the struggles, the, the joys. And my, my heart's filled with joy. My heart is filled with joy in this season of life. It's filled with joy because of what God is doing in and through this congregation. It's filled, it's filled with joy because of what God is doing in, in my own life through you. As I celebrate that graduation, I look around this room and, and see all of the many people who made an investment in me. Not just the financial investment, but the time that you all have spent with me and the time that you have, times that you have prayed for me, you've made an impact on my life and you have been a part of God's hand shaping me. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, despite the many joys, 
Sometimes life wears us thin, doesn't it? Sometimes it's all we can do just to get out of bed in the morning. You know, we, we have uh, bills and chores and children and plans and deadlines and all these things that we're facing. We rightly groan, but sometimes we're tempted to grumble. And we, spe- we expect that of children, right? They're still learning. We need to discipline them when they do that. But we hear things like, uh, this is the worst day ever. Uh-huh, I see that look. <laughs> Everybody's heard it. This is the worst day ever. Or that's not fair. And we, we think we're so much better than, than our children. I think we're just more sophisticated sinners. But when we fall into this discouragement with life and its struggles, we need to remember that our heart is deceitful. The one place we look for, for clarity, for truth, for guidance, for foundation is God's word. And so we come to God's word this morning. We remember that we have a better hope. We have a better hope. That hope has been revealed in God's word. And Rex mentioned earlier, we've got some reading plans here. I just want to say for a moment, that's why we suggest these to you. Because God's word is life. He has the words of life. We need this life. We cannot run this race if we are not sustained and nourished by God's word. And and in God's word, we find that those who run this race are going to face a lot of pain, a lot of struggle, a lot of sorrow. But we also find in this word that there is purpose to our pain. You need to hear that this morning. There is a purpose in your pain. Suffering produces endurance. And we have need of endurance if we're going to run this race. But we don't just have that command and that need of endurance. We have one who has endured us for our sake. We're called to endure the race. He endured the cross for us. The letter of Hebrews is all about this Jesus. It's made very clear from the outset. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken through his son. And these last days, he has spoken through his son. As we move throughout the letter of Hebrews, we find all of these these exhortations, these warnings. Don't neglect this message. Don't turn away from this messenger. Don't shut your ears. Today is the day if you hear his voice. Don't harden your hearts. Grow up. Don't despise Don't look down upon. We hear these these exhortations. Let us fear, let us strive, let us hold fast, let us draw near, let us grow up, let us consider. And today, let us run. The passage we'll be considering today is, is an exhortation for the weary and discouraged to take courage so that they may run the faith, the race of the faith with endurance and win the prize. My hope today is that we'll hear this exhortation and we will be encouraged. That whatever comes this year, whatever struggles and trials we face, we will run with endurance and fix our eyes on Jesus because this life is a race, friends. This life is a race. It's more like a marathon than a sprint. It takes long preparation and determination. Anybody here ever run a marathon? Uh, There's a few people, not very many. (laughs) Ron, come on, man. 
So there's 5K and there's marathon. There's 5K and there's marathon. And <laughs> the race of the Christian faith is more like a marathon than a 5K. But for some of us, a 5K feels like a marathon, right? <laughs> you know, all, all, all runners, in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize. Ron didn't get that prize that day, neither did I. <laughs> but we're called in God's word to run that we may obtain that prize. Run that we may obtain the prize. Just earlier on in Hebrews before chapter 11, in, in, uh, in chapter 10, verse 36, it says, we have need of endurance so that when we have done the will of God, we may receive what is promised. I want you to be encouraged, friends. We come to this exhortation today. Be encouraged that there is a prize. Be encouraged that God has done everything to set our course and to secure this prize for us. Amen? So the one thing we're gonna see in this passage today is this exhortation. Take courage and run with endurance, fixing your eyes on Jesus. It's not clever, it's not fancy, but that's exactly what God's word is telling us here today. Take courage and run with endurance, fixing your eyes on Jesus. And as we, as we look through these verses, we're going to, to see that we take courage, first of all, because God has proven his faithfulness. Second, we run with endurance because God has set our course. And finally, we fix our eyes on Jesus because in him, God has secured our prize. Friends, this Jesus is our prize. He is our prize. He is the anchor and the source of our courage and endurance. He's the goal. He is the aim. He is the focus. He's our hope. So as we consider this exhortation, let's look first at verse 1. And the call to take courage because God has proven his faithfulness. In the, in the very verse, first part of verse one, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You know, the writer of Hebrews points to this cloud of witnesses as a motivation for our endurance. But we need help here, I think, because we might be tempted to, to hear this and think of spectators in the stands. Like they were there watching down on us, like grandma and grandpa are looking down from heaven and, and smiling on us. But in the context of Hebrews 11 and 12, these witnesses are those who bear testimony to God's faithfulness. That is what they're doing. That is what these witnesses do for us. These witnesses testify to us. Therefore, having so great a cloud of those who bear witness to God's faithfulness, let us take courage because God has proven his faithfulness. The emphasis here is more on what we ought to see in them rather than what they see in us. And that same word witnesses used here, it's not spectators, that's not the word. It's the word witnesses. It's used various times throughout chapter 11 as well. Speaking of those whom God commended. What do we, what do we find there? God is bearing witness to their faith by his commendation, his approval. They are bearing witness to his faithfulness with their lives. All these worked 
suffered and ran without receiving the prize, without receiving the promises. Why? Because God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. We heard that at the end of chapter 11. There is a race to be run and Jesus has secured the prize. They look forward to that prize. We look back and we see this Jesus on the cross. God has proven his faithfulness time and time again. And he's calling us to consider these examples of chapter 11 that Pastor Rex just read for us. Consider these. Look at these people. Look at these ones who persevered and run, ran the race well. Those are the ones who held fast their confession. Those are the ones who drew near to God. Those are the ones who did not shrink back. Those are the ones who prove his faithfulness. And that's why God is not ashamed to be called their God. So they are witnesses. They testify to the faithfulness of God. I wonder who comes to your mind in your own life when you think about those who, who testify to God's faithfulness? I mean, I can look around the room and see faces of people that have proven God's faithfulness that I can look to as witnesses when I run this race. People who have suffered, people who have lost and have endured that suffering with joy because they fix their eyes on Jesus. Their testimony ought to inspire us to trust, ought to inspire us to take courage as we run this race. As we look at Hebrews 11, these were ordinary, undeserving people who gave their lives trusting in the gracious promises of a faithful God, promises which they had not received but greeted from afar. At every turn, God showed his faithfulness in their lives. It is how God proved his faithfulness in their lives that we are to be encouraged by here. Since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You know, there's a, there's a difference between courage and crazy, right? There's a difference between courage and crazy. Crazy does irrational things. Courage is based on conviction. Courage is downstream from conviction. It's the outworking of conviction. We're not called to take a blind leap as we follow God. We are called to be grounded in this truth so that this truth moves us into the difficult things that we face. So we, we look at how God has proven his faithfulness and we ought to be convicted that God is faithful and then we ought to take courage. That is how this works. Courage in the context of faith is the outworking of conviction. We look at Luther. Here I stand, I can do no other. How did he have such courage in the face of such Fierce opposition, conviction. That's how he had courage, conviction. Perhaps we're not courageous enough because we are not convicted of this truth enough. And we need to be convicted. I, we need to hear this faithfulness of God and be reminded of God's faithfulness as we run this race so that we will have courage. So that we will be willing to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Conviction must work itself in our lives. It's one thing to say we believe, it's another to sacrifice for what we believe. But to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, this is a, a picture here. There's some words being used here that the original readers or hearers of this text would have heard 
used of, of runners in the Olympics, okay, to lay aside, to put off. And when they heard this word, it meant something far more extreme than when we hear this word. Because the runners in the Olympics at this time, they actually ran with nothing. Literally nothing. They had nothing. So when they laid aside every weight, it meant every weight. This was long before moisture-wicking spandex. This was a time when, when you know, togas and all these other things were, were happening. And so they laid aside everything that might slow them down. So when these readers are, are seeing this, when, when they're hearing this, they're thinking, it, it's all, it's everything. Lay it all down. Lay everything aside, anything that slows you down in this race. And to do that, it takes courage. It takes courage to say no to your boss when it has consequences for your welfare. It takes courage to say no <laughs> to those who want you to join in something that you shouldn't. It takes courage to do the right thing when it costs you, when it hurts. But this courage is based on conviction. And that conviction is this, God is faithful. God is faithful. If you are convicted of this truth, you will take courage as you run this race. Take courage, God has proven his faithfulness. I'm reminded of um, of a quote that, that impacted me early on as a, as a Christian. Uh, and it was in a book that actually Emma just received uh, for Christmas called Through Gates of Splendor. Many of you are familiar with that book. It's the, it's the story of, of Jim Elliott and, and, and the other missionaries there that gave their lives to bring the gospel to those Indians. And, and the quote that stuck out from that book so much is what Jim Elliott said before he left. People called him crazy. It wasn't crazy, it was courage. Okay? It wasn't crazy, it was courage. Why? Because he says this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Friends, that's what I'm telling you we're doing here when we run this race. Laying aside every weight and sin means letting go of anything. Letting go of anything that slows you down in your pursuit after God. It is not foolish to sacrifice. It is not foolish to give up what we cannot keep, to gain what we cannot lose. So we look to those who testify of God's promises, laying aside every weight and sin, and we take courage because God has proven his faithfulness. Second, we run with endurance because God has set our course. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This course that we're on has been laid out by God. God has set the course of the race before us. In, in, the, in the letter of Hebrews, he speaks to them as though they're in the wilderness, as though they're, they're wandering, they're waiting, they're, they're looking, they're working, they're suffering, they're facing struggle. But even as we look back to the original Exodus, you know God set that course. God prepared that path for them. And friends, the course you're on right now might not be the one you would have chosen for yourself. In fact, most likely it's not the one you would have chosen for yourself. But God has set your course. God has set your course. Remember Job? Whose idea was his suffering? It was God's idea. 
That was a part of God's plan. God had set his course. You know, our, our minds are too feeble to understand how God works through all of these things. We don't understand the depth of his mercy or the length and breadth of his love through suffering. But sometimes suffering is the greatest gift we can get because our suffering teaches us to rely upon the only God, the only Savior. Our suffering teaches us that we are not fit. Our suffering shows us that we cannot do it on our own, that we don't have it in us, that we are in desperate need of one who will sustain us. The race of the faith is agonizing. That's the word that's used here for race, where we get our word agony. The race of the faith is agonizing, but God has set our course. He is the one that has prepared this path for us. We shouldn't be surprised when we face struggles. I don't need to tell you that. Most of you, I don't need to tell you that. We, we've, we've been in the word. It's been clear. We, we've read this over and over and over again. Those who follow after Christ will suffer. Those who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We know this, but sometimes we forget. Sometimes we set our hopes on things that, that God never promised us, and we bring suffering upon ourselves. Friends, we need to look to God and remember that he has set us on this course, and all the suffering that comes our way is a part of his plan, and that this light and momentary affliction is not worth comparing to the prize we're running after. We're being conformed to the image of Jesus through all of this. Some of you have, have lost unexpectedly. Some of you are even now fighting illness and ailment. Some of you are under financial pressures that threaten your security, lessen your comforts. Some of you are struggling with parenting. Some of you are just tired, just weary. If that's you this morning, take courage in the comforts of the God who has proven his faithfulness and who has set your course. You are exactly where God has placed you. So keep running. It, suffering is a gift from God, and that's why the early disciples could say that, or that they could rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of the name. I'm convinced that we need a, we need a better better theology of suffering. We need a better understanding of how God uses suffering in our lives, how normal it is, and how God uses that to conform us to the image of Christ. This is par for the course. God uses our pain to teach us to rely on him and to conform us to the image of Jesus. C.S. Lewis in, in The Problem of Pain said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a dead world. Some of us here perhaps have wandered off course or we've not joined the race through faith in Christ. Friend, if that's you, God's word would call you out of your wandering. Maybe you need the pain of suffering as God's megaphone to rouse you from your deafness so that you will hear God's word, so that you will look to him and so that you will run with endurance this race that is set before you, knowing that God has set this course. And if you're feeling inadequate for that, you are. 
None of us are able. None of us are competent. But we have a God who is able. And the prize is not the result of our work. The prize has been purchased for us by the blood of Christ. The prize has been purchased for us. So run with endurance, knowing that God has set you on this course. That leads us to the final point this morning. Fix your eyes on Jesus because God has secured our prize. God has proven his faithfulness in the lives of those gone before us. He has set our course for this race and he has secured our prize in the person and work of Jesus. It's when we look to Christ that we see the prize and the price it took to secure it for us. He begins in verse two. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He doesn't say glancing at Jesus. This is more than a, a mere turn. It is to look away from everything else and focus intently upon Christ alone. That is what we're being called to, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes upon him, to look away from this world and its trappings, to look away from circumstance, to look away from the struggle, look away from the mirror. Get your eyes off the ground and look to Jesus. Runners in a race, what do they do? In these races, they had a pillar that was standing at the very end. And they would have that pillar as a guide. They fixed their eyes on the pillar. They fixed their eyes on the, on the end of the race. Here we're being called to fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he is the prize. He is the prize. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We should not overlook here the specific mention of his name. Looking to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus, as a man, endured the cross for us. In his humanity, he bore the wrath of God for us. He suffered and endured as a man, facing the same temptations and struggles that we do. Jesus is given as the ultimate witness. Jesus is given as the ultimate witness. Why? Because he is not only a witness of God's faithfulness, he is the founder of our faith. He's better not only in quality of example, but he's better in the, in the sense that he has perfected our faith. He ran the race and he won for us. He won the prize. And why did he do this? for the joy that was set before him. He did it for the joy that was set before him. Jesus himself, the founder and perfecter of our faith, faith, set his face on the prize, the joy of eternal glory to be restored. In John 17, Jesus prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Later on in that same prayer, he says, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The joy that Jesus set his face upon was the joy of eternal glory restored and the joy of 
the, the people that he was purchasing for himself, sharing in this glory with him. The joy that was set before Jesus was eternal glory. Us and him together, with him, joy forever. That is the joy he set his face upon. So he endured the cross. He persevered, suffering the just punishment that we deserve, that you deserve, that I deserve, the wrath of God. He, he didn't just take it. He gladly bore that, sacri- that, 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 that wrath for us and satisfied the wrath of God that we might be clothed in his righteousness and share in his joy. That's the prize, friends. That is the prize. The prize is standing before our God in white robes, face to face with our Savior, Jesus. That's the prize Christ purchased for us. Those white robes have been made by his blood, by his cross. In doing this, he calls us to endure for the joy of his glory that we're called into. You remember the parable of the talents where Jesus was speaking to his disciples about those who who stewarded well. The one who stewarded well, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Christ calls us into his joy because the work is finished. He secured our prize. He is the faithful servant. He is the one who has opened the door for us that we may share in this joy with him. Not only did he endure the cross for the joy set before him, despising its shame, but he is seated. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer here uses a different form of the verb for seated than he did for others. And I only mention that to say that this is a present reality with ongoing effects. The fact that he is seated is relevant right now for you. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That matters to you right now. He finished the work. He he completed the race. Unlike any other priest, unlike any other before him, he completed the work to perfection. And because of that, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is a fulfillment of what David spoke in Psalm 110, where he said, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. That's a, that's a comforting thing for us, friends. Because when we are united to Christ through faith, our enemies are his enemies. And every enemy is gonna be under his foot. His life and death has conquered sin. His resurrection has conquered death. And when he returns again, every other vile, evil thing, every other particle, every other memory of sin is going to be wiped out. He's coming in victory as one who ran victoriously, enduring the cross and sat down at the right hand the throne of God. So he's like those witnesses of faith in that he accepts the example we're to follow, but he is unlike them in that he sits in a place of authority until his dominion is complete. 
It's because of the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus that we can say that our prize is secure. God has secured our prize. So fix your eyes on Jesus. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So take courage. God has proven his faithfulness. Run with endurance. God has set our course. Fix your eyes on Jesus. God has secured our prize. In light of that, friends, take courage and run with endurance, fixing your eyes on Jesus. My hope is that this, this, this word will, will, will cause you to walk away more confident in your faith. And as you go throughout this year, that you'll look back and you'll remember God's faithfulness in years gone by that you'll look to the cross, that you'll look to Christ, and that you'll run this race with endurance for the joy set before you, which is the prize of our Savior Jesus. That you can say one day, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so that you will hear from our Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy. Robert Murray McShane was a 19th century Scottish pastor. He excelled from a young age, entering the university only 14 years of age, and he, he, he did his master's work at the age of 18. I'm a bit late start compared to him, uh, but he also died at 30. Uh, though his race seems short in our eyes, he left a mark on the world. Only 30 years old. In fact, there's a reading plan that he created, that many still read today. Some in our church use his reading plan. In one of his memoirs, he wrote this. Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace, and all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart and so there will be no room for folly or the world or Satan or the flesh. This is what it means to fix our eyes on Jesus. So what about you? Will you run this race with endurance? Will you take courage because God has proven his faithfulness? Will you run with endurance because God has set your course? Will you fix your eyes on Jesus? He is the prize. It's my prayer that we would, we would take courage and run with endurance in this next year, fixing our eyes on Jesus.